You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. It is interesting to me, um, always the opportunistic illustrator, that even this morning, we have a couple of kind of living illustrations that help us to bring this letter to a close. Because when we want to recap a book of the Bible like this, we need to be simple because there's a lot there. But we want to try to tie it together into something we can take away and, and feel confident about the truth that we, that we know. And so even the issue that we're having with the computer, I think, serves as a kind of living illustration of what Paul's been talking about in the book of Galatians, because we've been considering, okay, here's, here's the first part of the recap. We've been considering what we call the distinction between the law and the gospel, the two big voices of the Bible. The voice of the law, because of sin, says to us, do this and live. And it brings to us bad news because none of us have done the things that we need to do. We haven't kept all of God's righteous commands and expectations so that we can then earn or win the promise of life and favor with him. We can't do it. But then we have the voice of the gospel that comes in to comfort us and assure us and to convert us and to keep us. And that voice of the gospel doesn't say, do this and you will live. It says, done. Or it says, live. It announces life to us in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. And then it enables us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he is ever working the the truth of the gospel deeper into our souls that we can, quote, do this. We can obey, finally. We can walk out our faith by grace through faith in Christ according to what God has said and to the glory of God. This is the beauty of the letter to the Galatians. But here's the central issue that Paul is raising, one that is continuously on Paul's mind at the time of his writing, and it needs to be on our minds as well. Small things can become big problems. And one of those small things is legalism. It's similar to what's happened to the computer. It seems to me the authorities of the computer at the back think that there's a, a, what seems to be kind of a small firmware issue. Something so small can take the whole system down. Or many of you don't know this, Rob, who is helping to lead worship today, has had some ongoing back issues, and they're kind of bad today. And it's another one of those reminders. Some of you may have had something like that. You can have a disc, which is actually in your, in your spine. The, the discs along your vertebrae are roughly the size of a large button. And if it shifts just, just a, a little distance one direction or the other, it can take down the whole system. Legalism is the concern of Paul that seems like a small thing, but little shifts can take down your Christian life. This distinction between the law and the gospel is so important that we need to ever have it on our minds because it's ever working in our hearts. And if the law, our view or our relationship to the law, shifts just a little to the right, or our relationship to the gospel shifts just a little to the left, it can wreak havoc in our Christian lives. And so the Apostle Paul is ever on the lookout for how he can exalt the gospel and put these two important voices of the Bible in proper tension 
in proper relationship, in proper distinction. So this morning, as we bring this to a close and look forward to Lamentations, we're going to take away just two truths that hopefully will kind of summarize a bit of what we've been seeing. It may seem general, but, uh, but it will help us to, to keep in our hearts and minds what we've learned over these recent months in this letter to the Galatians. Here's the first truth. Legalism is a formidable problem in the Christian life. It is a problem for every Christian. It's a problem for every person in this room. Every Christian in one way or another is a recovering legalist. It's because the law is written on our hearts, right? God has placed it on our hearts so that, so that it, will, it will lead us to Christ, so that, so that it will show us the, the path. His law works as a kind of uh, a governing agent to keep us, keep us moving forward and to keep us in the bounds. If, if he were to allow our sin to run wild, uh, we would run absolutely wild into chaos. And because of sin... The law written on our hearts has been co-opted. It has been uh, taken captive in a way such that sin and it's all its deceitfulness wants us to live by it in a way that God does not intend for us to find our hope in our doing of good or our keeping of rules or our checking off of the boxes. And while obedience is of paramount concern in the Christian life, sin twists that relationship And it seems like such a small thing, but it is quite a big thing. So let's remember this morning as we bring this letter to a close, that this is an ongoing issue for all of us in the Christian life. And it has everything to do with how we see the gospel, and it has everything to do with how we enjoy and glorify God. And it ought to be something that we are ever mindful of working in our hearts. First, notice Paul's concern that the readers know that these are actually his words. This, I'm not exactly clear on some places where Paul says something like this, but it seems most reasonable to me that, that maybe there was some kind of issue for Paul, a physical malady, something with his vision that made it difficult for him to write. And at this time, there could be people that would write letters and then sign your name to it because they thought that was a way of representing you or you know communicating on your team or something like that. And so here he says in verse 11, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but it does seem reasonable that Paul would have someone else writing for him at times to make it more efficient because of this problem. But as he had a growing concern that his readers would know they were hearing from him, his own words, his own pen, he perhaps would take over the writing and the letter would turn out a little different in terms of the way that that you see it. But he says here to these Christians that he's addressing in the letter that they're under constant pressure from surrounding legalists. Notice how he's ending. This is the end of the letter. So this is his moment. Like any of us writing a letter, you're you're trying to say important things at the end as well. He says in verse 12, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. For us, we can think of circumcision in the context of the letter as simply one way of trying to justify yourself with the law, trying to fit in with the Lord or his people 
by keeping the law as though those are the terms of the covenant. And those aren't. We've talked about that. We've talked about a difference between a covenant of works and a covenant of promise. That the law brings to us a covenant of works that we haven't kept and we cannot, we cannot receive the promise by keeping them. But the covenant of promise is one in which Jesus has done everything necessary. All of the conditions have been met so that he can give us the promise of God's favor, of joy and happiness in him forevermore, of all of the the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, that all of his promises become yes because of what he has done for us. These two covenants. And Paul is addressing these believers because they are constantly under this pressure to live by the law, to justify themselves, to fit in by law-keeping. Sometimes we think of these as, under the term, Judaizers, those who believe that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who became Christians still needed to do all of the legal requirements in order to be on the Christian team. And Paul takes real issue with that because he knows, he knows how this can shut the whole Christian, quote, system down. The whole Christian life is thrown into havoc when this kind of mentality takes over because it crowds out the gospel. It crowds out our enjoyment of Christ by grace, and it puts us back on the path of works so that now everything is on my shoulders, enormous burden, enormous anxiety, enormous pressure that I can't carry. And so Paul is, even at the end of the letter, taking aim at this serious problem so that he can bring light and, and grace and comfort and help and hope and direction to it as he points out what these, what these Judaizers were doing, expecting Gentile believers to follow the Jewish laws and customs so that they could be in the family. Let's notice in verse 12, because we can see a couple of friends, might put it that way, that legalism tends to run with. Because remember that the issue of legalism can seem like a really small thing. It's an insidious problem. It's one that you don't, you don't always recognize or see in yourself. Not until it gets really full-blown and, and, and you're just being crushed under the weight of law-keeping all the time. But it is insidious because of sin. And it can fly under the radar. So it would be helpful to us if we could see what are some of the ways that this bears out in even our lives by looking at verse 12. I want you to notice two friends that often run with legalism or travel down this legalistic road with legalism. They are the friends of impression and fear. Notice in verse 12, he says first, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. They're wanting to make a good impression. This is something that legalism does when it takes over our hearts. It puts our minds uh, focused on how we're being perceived by other people. It, it puts our minds on how we are measuring up against some standard. It could be the standard of God's law, which is unreachable by us, only reached by Christ and given to us as a gift. Or it could be trying to live up to these laws that other people are bringing to us, much like these believers were experiencing here. It could be that we are uh, grading ourselves based upon uh, what someone else is doing, the way that they're living. 
And suddenly we're in this sea of just swirling confusion about what we should do, where we stand. Does God love me? Do I have his favor? Am I doing enough? Am I measuring up to these other people? It's all because it turns our hearts inward, wishing to make an impression. That's what these were doing. And that's what can happen to any of our hearts. Paul says that these legalists became and were motivated by appearance. I wonder if that resonates with you. It resonates with me. I think it resonates with you. I'm a pretty normal guy, and I think it resonates with everybody. Do you find yourself really concerned about appearance? Not just your clothes, not just your hair. Do you find yourself really concerned about what other people think about you and whether they think you're measuring up? Whether on their report card of you, though they probably don't have one because they're looking at everybody else, but if they did, are you measuring up on their report card? Do you make decisions throughout your daily life based upon pretty heavily what other people will think about it? Whether they will approve of you, whether they won't, whether they will, they will think that you're really righteous or good or talented. That's all the work, it's muddled, I know, but it's all the work of the kind of legalism. It says, in order for me to belong, I have to do. Rather than in order for me to belong, I must believe. I must believe in what Christ has done for me and, and take for myself as his gift, his righteousness as my own, so that no longer am I concerned about what anyone else thinks about me. I'm only concerned about what he thinks about me, and I know what he thinks about me. He's already delivered that message to me in this thing called gospel. And it's freeing. It's freeing. But does this resonate with you? Do you find yourself doing what these believers are being tempted to do? Fall in with the impression crowd, I want to make a good impression. This comes up a lot in the Bible, and it makes sense because it's a common problem. Notice even what Jesus says in Matthew 6. We're going to be there not too long from now. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Why? To be seen by them. Remember, all right, I said this last Sunday, a lot of repetition. The principle when we read the Bible, that you see something written here, it's not being written just because it's an interesting thing to say. It's being written because it's a problem for you. It's a problem for me. Why is he saying, be careful? Because I'm in danger of doing this. This happens to me. All the time this happens to me. I would even say to you that probably every single day, I practice my righteousness to be seen by men, at least in some way. It happens all the time. I am relentlessly chased by the concern of what you think about me. Right now, I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about how my words are coming off. I'm concerned that I don't fumble my words, that I say the right thing. I'm trying to keep my head ahead of the words so that you will think I'm a good preacher. And then I do that every day, all day long. Not the preaching part, but like every other area of my life. And so do you. So Jesus says, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, 
you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Galatians 6, 12, that's what he's talking about. Truly I tell you, they, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see it? Do you see the, the, the distinction? Those are two ways of living. It's either living to impress people or living in the freedom and security of God's approval of you because he sees and knows you by grace. This is the issue. It's the issue that Paul is getting at. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. That's me. That's me. I mean, I could write my name on that verse. That is me. It happens every time we have a corporate prayer gathering. When I pray out loud and I finish, I immediately start thinking, I wonder how that sounded to everyone else. Was it pastoral enough? Was it truthful enough? Was it eloquent enough? That's me. That's why he says to me, Rush, be careful, man. Be careful. This is serious. Don't be a legalist living to impress other people. They love to pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. That's one friend that legalism runs with. Do you see that friend working in your life? You do. Of course you do. So be cheerful because God loves you and he is, loves you so much that he's giving you help. He's warning you. He's helping you. He's giving you truth. The book of Galatians is, is enormously about this. So go back and read it again. Go back and find yourself, find the solution that he's giving to you, which we found over these months, and you probably have them written down in your notes if you're a note taker. And then by grace, we put them into practice. But this will help us to see it. This is one of the friends. So hopefully we're boiling it down in a way that, that even I can understand impression. That's one friend. Here's another friend. The other friend that runs is fear. Notice they were also motivated by fear. In their case, and it's pretty common for most of us, but they are motivated by fear of suffering. Part of the reason why they are doing their law keeping and why they're concerned about impression is they're afraid of suffering. They're afraid of what might happen to them or what kind of persecution they might experience because they're living this way. They caved into the pressure, which is what happens when we live in fear and we try to justify ourselves by the law. Notice what he says, but only that they want to compel you to be circumcised, but only 
to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want to face any persecution. They don't want to face any suffering with the one who suffered for them. And that fear is so strong that they're just going to go back to the law. They're not going to run out into the freedom of the gospel where you are free to obey and you are free to suffer and you are free to be happy in Christ. They would rather just go back to the law so that they don't have to experience any of these things. This is not the way the Apostle Paul saw life. This is not the way that he lived. And that's why he's bringing this up, and that's why he's, he's well-suited to bring it up. Just jump forward a little bit uh, down to verse 17. He's saying at the very end, this is like the second to last statement he makes. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, Paul was constantly troubled. He had trouble all around him all the time. He was troubled by Judaizers. He was troubled by the world. He was troubled by Christians. He had Christians on his back all the time. It's crazy, all of the pressure that he was under. And yet here he is saying, let no one cause me trouble. Let no one question my sincerity about what I believe and am telling you about the gospel. Because unlike them, What does he say? I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In Paul's life, that is a litmus. That is a a credibility mark of his sincerity. He was not a person who was shrinking back into law-keeping to appease the people around him. He was not a person, though I know he was tempted like I am, and I'm sure that he struggled like all of us do, but he's not characterizing himself and this is not the person that he wants to be. And I don't think it's the person that God was was leading him to be, you know, out in his life by somebody that's going around always worried about what everybody else thinks. Always making sure I'm living up to their standard. Do they think I'm a good, uh, you know, enough missionary? Do they think I'm a good enough letter writer? Do they think, that's not what he's doing. And because of that, he has earned for himself a whole lot more trouble because he actually bears on his body the marks of Jesus. I think most of us, in one way or another, if you've been a Christian long enough, you bear the marks of Jesus somewhere that it can't be seen. You have had people you know, like say ugly stuff to you or criticize you, or you've been overlooked for something because they're you know, trying to hold you down. It's kind of persecution. But I don't, I don't think anybody in here has the marks of Jesus on their body. I don't think anybody here has been beaten with rods. Forgive me if I'm overlooking you. I don't think so. I don't think that anybody here has been stoned or shipwrecked or spent nights at sea and have been under these kinds of constant pressures. Therefore, when we look to the Apostle Paul, we should look to him as someone who is a fear killer with the gospel, rather than being a fear embracer by the law. That's what he's getting at here with this other traveler that runs along with legalism, fear. It is a remarkable problem. This is an insidious, formidable problem in the Christian life. It's a cancer. It really is, right? 
Do you see this throughout our time in the book of Galatians? The cancer of this kind of mindset about life in the world, a, 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 a mindset that basically pulls the curtain down on the glory of God, his grace in the gospel, and raises the curtain on some other terms of life in the world. I'm going to follow all the rules. I'm going to check everything off the list, and then I'm good. Or it might not be God's list, just as as we've said. It could be, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fall in with this group of people, and they've got a code of honor, and I'm going to follow their code of honor. So curtain down, curtain up, follow their code of honor, and now I fit in, and everything feels pretty good. I feel pretty safe. They're not going to harass me because I'm in with them. Meanwhile, where's the Lord? He's behind the curtain. Where's his grace? Where's the gospel in that? Where's the comfort in that? It's behind the curtain. Where should you be? Where should I be? Behind the curtain. Not behind this curtain. But that again, that's the insidious problem. That's the cancer of this legalism. It can take you so many different places and and undercut your Christian life in so many different ways. And all the while, I feel really good about it. I'm really comfortable. I'm really at ease. Like, my friends, they love me. Such, such, such a problem. But Paul Paul is insistent on helping us to defeat this. Notice this simple kind of recap of the first truth or, or summary point here. The motivation in this kind of legalistic, in all of its avenues, mindset of life is no longer outward. It's not a mindset that has me looking outward at other people, at God and other people, so that I can minister to people. And I can enjoy and glorify God moment by moment. That's not what the motivation is. What's, what's the motivation? What's the, what's the lens? It's now turned back inward. It's all about what impression I'm making. It's what you think about me. It's about what kind of penalty or, or, um, or punishment or hardship I'm going to face because of the way that I'm living. It's changed our view. But the answer to this legalistic oppression and practice as we know, and we say it again and again and again, it really is. It really is the gospel. Listen, these are just three other verses from Galatians. They come from chapter five, verses one, four, and six, and just hear them again. We need these. You you could make a list of these and, and use these in your daily quiet time or throughout the week or write them on cards, put them on the mirror in your car, in your back pocket, so that we can review these truths. Because we need this kind of daily, you know, kind of daily help. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then. And don't submit against, uh, again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Or Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. The application of this first truth about this summary point in Galatians 
is to avoid the temptation to boast outwardly or inwardly in your law keeping. This is the big temptation. It is to boast. Other ways that we could talk about boasting. It is to rest. It is to comfort yourself. It is to take pride in, outwardly or inwardly. Now quickly, let's just talk briefly about those two because they're important. This issue of legalism, we've really focused mostly so far on the outwardness of it. It happens kind of you know, outside of you. You're looking, it's happening out in your life, the way that you're living or, or the way that you're um, walking out in daily life. But there also is an inward approach to this. There's an inward way of doing it. It happens to everybody because we're all constantly thinking and we all constantly have fantasies. We all daydream. And if you're like me, you probably find yourself daydreaming and fantasizing mostly about being righteous, mostly about being righteous around other people. Something happens in your daydream. There's a problem or crisis. You're there to solve it. Everybody praises you. That's mine, at least. You're learning a lot about me today, right? Good thing the live stream's not working. <laughs> or else the whole world might find out what I really think. That's what I really think. And so do you. It's an inward problem, too, then. And that's where we can find it. That's where we can tap into it and see, what is my heart really wanting? I really want to be seen by you. I really want to impress you. I really want you to think I'm something, even inwardly in my dreams. You see what a problem it is. Therefore, we must avoid, avoid, avoid this temptation to boast. This is what sometimes we call the put off from the letter to the Ephesians. The put off here is resisting and putting off the temptation or the boasting outwardly or inwardly in our law keeping where we constantly keep that tally in our minds, of how we're doing, are we fitting in, all of that. But you can't just do put off, you have to do put on as well. And so what is the put on? This is the simple second truth. And there's only two, first one's long. This is the second one. For today, just to recap, this is, this is it. Transforming grace is then our hope. How are you going to find change? What are you going to replace this putting off of boasting outwardly or inwardly in your own law keeping? What are you going to put on? You put on transforming grace. It's a, a recommitment day by day by day to the transforming work of God in Christ in you because of what he has done for you by living and dying and rising again. This is another powerful statement that Paul makes. Listen to what he says in verse 14. But he's shifting gears. This is, the, this is the pivot of his argument from the putting off or from what's going on over here to the putting on and where he's leading us. He says, but as for me, you see, I'm not going to live that way. Paul did live that way. 
He lived a long time that way. That's what his life was like. It was all about this kind of legalistic way of, of justifying yourself and being righteous in other people's eyes. He was the king, valedictorian of the school of good impressions. And he says, but as for me, I will never, well, that's a big statement. You're hearing his heart come out. We know that he struggles. I will never boast, rest, comfort and assure myself, walk in. I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. He's talking about a break, an incredible tearing break between him and the world. The world being the world system, everything outside of, of, of the gospel way that Christ has delivered to us through his life, death, and resurrection. He has made a break and a tear, and it's a deadly one. He's basically saying, I am dead to that way of living that has nothing to do with me. I don't, li I don't live like that. That's not the way that I'm made. I have been rebuilt, and now I am different. And the world is dead to me. I don't want anything of that legalistic way of living. I don't want anything of these Judaizers and this, this fear and this just burden all the time of what people think about me and, and am I living up and, and the misery, it's misery. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. But notice again, notice his, boast, his emphasis on boasting. This is, this is the major flaw of the legalists. Because everything turns inward, all they can do, when I'm like that, all I can do is boast about myself. That's all I can do. I, I, don't have, I don't have eyes to see anything else. I really don't have a desire to do anything else. When I'm in that mode, and that's, that's the path of my mind and my heart, it's just boasting about myself. That's where you get caught in those daydreams. That's where you get caught and it's hard to cut them off, right? You notice that? I hope you notice that. If you don't, you should notice it. Pay attention to it the next time you're sitting at your desk, staring out the window. Notice the, the reel of images that's running through your heart and mind. It's hard to cut it off because even when the Holy Spirit says, be careful, you go, I know. Just one more, just one more episode and you make up another one. And you think about another way that you could, you could be the hero of the story. This is the major flaw because in that moment, you cannot boast about anything except yourself. And all that is, is just taking glory, which belongs to God. So instead, he's telling us that we should be like him and we should have a, a, a division, a break with the world, a, a violent break one that is serious and full of commitment. In Galatians 6.14, we could say that this, even though it, kind of, it comes at the end, we could say that this is the, the central truth of the whole letter to the Galatians. If you want to know what Galatians is about, that's what it's about. I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Why is this boasting thing such a concern? 
Let's have three other little truths to help you know, kind of bring some light to that before we bring this time to a close and then we, we sing again with these truths on our hearts and we can spend some time where we are praying as we look forward to, the, to this new year coming to the end of this letter that God would help us uh, in this way in particular. Why is this such an issue for Paul? Paul was, was fervently, obviously, set against legalistic thinking and living. And here are just three kind of reasons or sub-truths. One is because of his commitment to what's called the exclusivity of salvation in Christ. Big words there. Exclusive. Salvation only comes through Christ. There's no one else. There are no other saviors. There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. There's no one else coming for us with grace. There's no one else who has the wisdom or the sovereignty or the goodness or the happiness to actually enter our world, understanding our need, and to bring us all of the answers that we need. There's nobody else. Paul became convinced that there was no one else coming for him. There was no one else to save him. There was no one else to comfort him. There was no one else who could really know him. No one. And that's why he is so bent out of shape about this legalistic issue and this worldly way of thinking about life. Because all it does is pull you away from Christ. All it does is raise up competitors with him. The friend group that I pulled the curtain up in front of so that I could impress them and I'm gonna fit in with them and they are now my, my lawgivers. I'm gonna go in on their code that I'm gonna be good is a competitor with him. All they're doing is going head to head with, with Jesus and no one, no one can go head to head with Jesus. It's exclusive. That's why if you're sitting here today, this is going to sound hard. And you're looking anywhere else for grace or comfort or righteousness, you're going to go to hell. You will absolutely go to hell. And you will because Jesus is not going to have it. He's the one and only, and he's the one and only on purpose but he is full of grace and mercy. You don't have to go to hell. He will receive you. He will welcome you. He will marry you. You will belong to him. The exclusivity of Christ, one. Two, because Paul was committed to and he understood the importance of humility and dependence on God's grace. Everything, everything about Paul's worldview was grace-centered. He says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. There's nothing left outside of that. He's basically boxed himself up and written grace on the box. That's, that's all that he knows. But listen, you hear it easy. It's, it's an easy, logical jump. So why is he so bothered by this legalistic way of thinking? Why is he bothered by living and being comforted by and walking in the law instead of the gospel? Because it turns you away from grace. It puts you back in a covenant of works. It puts you back under do this and live. And we all know you haven't, so you won't. So he is pulling us back again and again to the humility and dependence on God's grace. And then finally, 
He is just dead set on countering this legalism because all it produces, all it produces is self-righteousness. It cannot make happy people. It cannot make selfless people. It cannot make holy people, joyful people, compassionate people. It can't do any of that. All it can make is self-righteous people. And no one likes self-righteous people. No one wants self-righteous people. Certainly not God. And therefore, Paul is, is so motivated. He's on fire to see people become Christ-righteous because that's the path. That's the path to become faithful and compassionate, happy and joyful and secure, humble and dependent and saved. Therefore, the last application of this letter for us at this time is the opposite of the first, and it is that we would boast instead in the achievements of Christ given to us as a gift. There's the put on. To boast in the achievements of Christ. To replace every time you're tempted to mark up on the list or in your mind or hold above your head like a light bulb something that you did to take it down and put up what Christ did so that you become like Paul. You put yourself in a box and you write grace on it. You write Christ on it to boast in the achievements of Christ. Of course, that all begins by coming to faith in Christ if we don't know Christ already. And so if that's you today, then you should come to Christ today. I have made a compelling argument for you to come to Christ, but only God can make that happen. And so after I walk down and go back here and take the microphone off, I'm going to pray for everybody here that if there's anybody here that needs to come to Christ, that today would be your day. I'm going to pray that God would do what is necessary with the argument I've given you from Scripture and the encouragement that you would come to faith. That's what I want. And I'm also going to pray for myself and all the rest of us who are Christians that we would be like Paul, that we would be crucified to the world and the world crucified to us and that we would be crucified to this legalism and legalism to us so that we can be people of grace, people of the gospel, more and more and more. That's what I want. Let me invite you to stand so that I can pray, and then we'll prepare to sing once again at the end of our service. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the letter to the Galatians, which you have inspired through the writing of the apostle Paul. And God, we pray that you would use these truths that we have heard. We pray that you would use the truths that we have forgotten and that you would water them like seeds in our hearts and that our hearts would bear fruit and that we bear fruit to your glory and fruit to our gladness and fruit to the exaltation of Christ and his good news. And we pray that you would day by day help us to get a handle on the rogue legalism of our hearts, our self-righteousness, our self-justification, our insistence on looking somewhere else for the comfort and the security, the forgiveness that only you provide. And we pray that you would work in every heart here in these ways, either by conversion 
or by continued spiritual growth. And we pray that all of it would be to your glory and to our good, the good of our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.